0: Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to give you a quick update of the progress here on the podcast. The Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast has evolved and is rapidly growing. It's impossible without you, the listener, and I can't thank you enough. So, after 12,000 downloads, countless messages, and reviews, I've decided to simplify the message of what I'm doing here. So, the goal as we have evolved, just as we do in our fire service career and in our life, the Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast will now have a more simplistic, street-smart approach to the leadership in today's fire service. You obviously can't know where you're going without knowing where you've been. So we will continue to value the traditions and the history of the fire service. Today's fire service needs modern solutions for the hurdles we face today. So stay tuned as we continue to bring on fire service leaders who've spent time in the streets, running calls, and they bring real-world experiences and solutions. Thank you, guys. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're going to welcome back Mr. Tim Klett. We're going to welcome back to a second episode of the Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast. And Tim and I are going to discuss some things that um, may not be discussed a whole lot about. You know, uh, there's a lot of fires out there. And as Tim and I have both agreed that fighting fires is probably the easiest part of your job. We're going to get into some other things, some in the firehouse stuff, some interpersonal stuff. And we're going to tap into both of our uh, experiences and some of, some of Tim's wisdom. So Tim, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, give a quick introduction to yourself of yourself, uh, for, you know, any of the listeners who may not know you.
1: Yeah, Mike. Well, thanks for having me back. Um, I actually got to apologize to your audience for the last time we were, we were kind of compressed. We try to compress a lot of information into a, uh, sure. very short period of time. And I think we were kind of rushed and that's one of the reasons I asked to come back and, you know, take as long as we needed to, to um, to cover some of the stuff that we really want to cover and talk about today. And so uh, I won't kill an apology and I won't kill any introduction about myself, but just, you know, I, I'm i Tim Klett. I was a I retired as a lieutenant out of the New York City Fire Department. Uh, I did uh, just under 31 years there. Uh, prior to that, I was a paid fireman in the city of New Britain, Connecticut. Uh, I was there for four and a half years. And then prior to that, I was a volunteer in a place called Millington, Connecticut, for probably seven years before I got hired in New Britain. So, um, I've been doing this a long time. I started in 1978 as a fire cadet. And, uh, like I said, I retired just over two years ago, just about two years ago now. So it awesome. was a great run. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds like it was a, uh, a good time, a decent amount of time to, uh, learn a few lessons, I think. Um, so the honors all mine to have you back. And I, you know, I appreciate you coming back on, um, And I agree with you. I think we left some stuff out. I think we were, uh, so we're here to fix that. Um, and I like
1: not to jump in again, but like that pedigree thing, we just, you know, in in the pre-show we said, Hey, listen, you know, I'm not going to kill my pedigree, but what I think it did for me was I had a lot of wells to go back to, you know, examples. I had a, a captain when I was in the volunteers, uh, Jimmy Traumer and, you know, countless times in my career, I went back and I said, you know, what would Jimmy do? And then I worked for Patty. So when, when you, when you have that um, resource of having some time to go back and have mentors in your life, especially officers, um, it was really important for me to get where I ended up going and, and, you know, being an officer that I, that I tried to be, I don't know if I ever made it there, but you know, I, I tried to emulate some of the guys that I had worked for, you know? I agree.
0: No, I, I, I'm the exact same way. And I think just about everybody is, um, I think there is, well, that's the whole point of, you know, mentorship, right? Have a mentor, be a mentor, you know what I mean? And, and I think those things are important. Um, yeah, and I, think, I, I,
1: I think you need to tap, tap in even like, you know, guys say, uh, oh, this, this officer, this officer, you know, yeah. my father was a, a very, he was a cop by trade, but, um, you know, he gave me a lot of life lessons too, maybe not in the fire side, but in the personnel side. And we'll talk about some of those personal sure. issues and how to deal with people and what to tolerate, what not tolerate. So, you know, I think, I think that it, it it's a value to have those people to lean on, uh, as you move up that, um, you know, officer ladder.
0: Sure. I know. I agree. And, and I, you know, I got to tell you, I don't think I would be as far in my career or life in general if it wasn't for some type of mentoring, you know what I mean? And I'm not necessarily saying a mentor in the fire department, but mentors can come as coaches, uh, supervisors, somebody older than you, you know, who whoever, however. I mean, I, I
1: think it's all relevant. It's all, and it all plays into. It could um, be a casual meeting. By, it could be. For someone who just took a minute out of their day to explain something to sure. you. That's or, what it doesn't doesn't have to be someone that was in your life every day.
0: Or some guy that you invited on your podcast because you looked up to him for a long time. Could be anyone. Yeah, well,
1: I don't know anybody that would do that.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure either. So so we're going to get started. And uh, I want to start with, you mentioned a quote uh, about the German army and personnel. So let's start with that quote and we'll get going.
1: Well, I I, like like I said in the first podcast, I I read a lot about the German army and and, uh, about World War Two, not just the German army. But I'm fascinated um, about how they did so much with so little. Uh, And I think that a lot of the of what they did, not not the bad stuff, but how they operated as an armed forces um, can translate to some of how we operate. And like just the personnel thing. And and this guy, uh, he was a major sep. Bradner, he was a he was a panzer ace. And he was awarded the one of the like the second highest medal that the German army would give out, the Oak Leaves of the Knight's Cross. Uh and when when he was awarded that, I, I found it fascinating. When I read these books, I underline quotes that that would mean something to me that I could say something to somebody else about that would maybe mean something to them. And it, it, it goes like this: when they gave him the oak leaves, he said. So he was asked the question, he says, what do you want without my men and without their efforts, I would be nothing. A commander can only achieve as much as his men are willing to give. And it, it is they who have given the utmost in order to save what could be saved. And when I read that, again, it really blew my mind about, you know, here's a guy getting awarded the second highest medal. And basically he said, this belongs to them. You know, without them, I'm nothing. And that, um, you know, as a firefighting unit, I think really resonates because really we are, you know, we are a chain that's, that's in a circle. Without each link, uh, that unit doesn't do anything. And each link has to know, you know, the capabilities of each other one to make that unit work the way it does. And like I said, that statement within itself, you know, working as a unit to save what could be saved. Um, really resonated with me, and I, you know, like I said, I, I take notes and mark them down. And uh, I mentioned one uh, on the last podcast that we did, and we might mention it again later on.
0: Sure. So you know, it's actually interesting to talk about the German army. The other thing that was visited by a, a friend of mine and somebody that I work with on my shift. He's been studying leadership, and he's doing some class at one of his classes, and the concept came up of um, what it takes to be a great leader. And one of the examples he brought up was, you know, was Hitler a good leader? Well, <laughs> tactically, militarily, he was. Right, took over half the world, all that stuff. Morally, ethically, horrible human.
1: Well, he had great men. He had great people. Sure. In there. That's what sure. It
0: was. And the other part about that is with the German army, and you may know this, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they got dismantled after World War One. And the Treaty of
1: Versailles. Yeah,
0: what's
1: that. Them. The Treaty of Versailles dismantled the German army. They were only allowed to have a, a one hundred thousand man army after the Treaty of Versailles.
0: Sure, and all they focused on were their sergeants. That's it. They focused time, effort, um, money into their highest non, or their non commissioned officers, their sergeants, and focused on training, tactics, all those things, and that's what they focused on. And then they they started expanding against. The tree and started doing whatever they wanted, but basically what they're what they getting at, yeah, I mean, you know where the war the war ended up. What they ended up doing was pro- producing generals and other commanders that were ruthless on the battlefield and were able to win, succeed, and get large armies to accomplish a common goal. Which that's leadership, and it's that's leadership in its purest form is a group of people to accomplish
1: a goal. Yeah, and you, you hate the you hate the use. Um, He's such a tyrant tyrant or um, a fanatical organization. But, you know, what I would say is we're not endorsing the organization, but we're there. We're training aspect of how they were trained and what they felt was important um, to have a a small units to be successful. They invested in the leadership of those units uh, within the larger army Uh, and those units that were trained that way rose to the top and they were you know they suffered the greatest losses but um those were units that everybody wanted to be in one because they saw action and two because the leadership was such that they wanted to work for people of that caliber and i think that's what we can translate to the the american fire service or the fire service as a whole that you know recruitment isn't a big deal if if you have a good company and a good officer recruitment takes care of itself, even even on the volunteer side, you know, if that place is being run well and, 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 you know, the officers are good, you know, recruitment really isn't a big deal. Recruitment becomes tough and getting people to go to slow places because they're not run the right way. Uh, And that's a leadership issue.
0: Sure. And, you know, personnel and personnel, every, the people that you lead, everybody has their own um, lives outside the firehouse, inside the firehouse and your work life balance is interlaced and those things can often spill over into the firehouse. So those are going to be your biggest challenges, I think as a company officer. So, um, you know, let's walk through how you established yourself as a new officer day one and, you know, kind of how you really lead and become an officer, start leading. And you, if you really don't know what you're doing, let's talk about that.
1: Well, I think that, you know, if you're not nervous the first time in that front seat, when you're making those calls, then, then I don't think that you have the qualities to be a good officer. And if you're not nervous, if you're not edgy, if you're not, you know, no one's going to sit in that front seat the very first time in that front seat and say, we're going to knock it out of the park tonight. You know, you're hoping nothing goes wrong. You know, that, and you know, my first night in the seat, uh, it was July 4th in New York city. And we all know that, you know, it, those are busy nights in New York city. Sure. And uh, we really didn't do much, but we had a car accident where a car had hit a bunch of parked cars and they'd split open this one gasoline tank that was leaking. Now I could have drove away and with more time on the job uh, in the rank, I might've, but it's three o'clock in the morning. We've been up all night and I- and I'm brand new officer first night and we can't patch this leak. And so we ended up having to stay there until a tow truck showed up two and a half hours later. And the guys weren't happy, but the sure. senior guy came up to me, and goes, I'm glad that you didn't waver and go home because the guys were disgruntled that they couldn't go get a nap. He goes, this was the right thing to do. The sergeant, the senior man, sure. you know, and, and I, I you, when you get back to that, um, cause we'll talk about obligation a little bit later on, but I think when you we look at officers, it doesn't matter whether you're a paid guy, a combination guy, how you uh, whether you take a test, whether you're appointed or whether you're voted in, um, because the people who are sworn to protect really don't care. I mean, you think that when you pull up, they they ask the officer that gets off the fire truck, "Hey, did you get elected, promoted by a test?" So the people don't care. So with that being said, the obligation's the same whether I get paid to do it or I don't get paid to do it, that obligation is the same. And the the responsibilities of the officer, whether you're a paid guy or not, are the same, you know? So I think trying to get you to know your guys, um, you got to get over the nervousness. And I think that, you know, believe it or not, that first night for me, that tough decision of keeping the company out, you know, and tell him, sending him home without sleep because of a, of a leaky gas tank. You know, I just, you know, what happens if I leave and some guy throws a cigarette in and I, I pull back up and I got 10 cars on fire, you know? So I think that decision, not that it was a real tough decision, but I made it on my very first night, an unpopular decision. And I stuck by it. And I think after that, as you make more decisions, I think it becomes easier and you become more confident, but, You know, I was always of the belief if you if you get in that front seat and and you think that, uh, you know, you're you're God's gift to that front seat, you are destined to be a failure. You know, we said last time that fire has a funny way of humbling you. And uh, I I think I've seen a lot of people like that, that the fire tends to humble them. And then what happens is um, they spiral and then they can't make a decision at all. You know, we, we talked in the break about about you know, what's being an officer and being an officer's failure. I mean, if you're not, if you're not learning by your failures as an officer, then you're never going to get better. You know, I, I don't care about my successes. I worry about my failures. And for some people, um, you know, that failure is, is a disaster for them and they can't get over it. And, you know, they make a bad decision and then they're afraid to make another decision. Um, you know, make a poor decision. Everybody's done it, you know, you know, correct it. Talk about it and then move on. Forget about it. Tomorrow's another day. It's another fire and another person that needs our help. You know, if you dwell on a bad decision, you you tend to spiral out of control in my in my estimation.
0: Sure. Now you know it you're gonna I feel like you're gonna have far more unpopular decisions. Than you are easy, obvious decisions, right? Because it's always the ones, and that's kind of why you're there as an officer in the first place. Because if people could govern themselves, they wouldn't need supervisors, right? Uh, now it's called anarchy. Anarchy. <laughs> hopefully, you're you know you're hopefully you're on that group or that crew that has people that do the right thing because they want to do it. They want to do it because they know it's the right thing to do. Um, but that's that's not always the case, and that's what we're there for. So you mentioned about. Um, your first shift was July 4th. Mm-hmm. Talk about your first fire that you went to where you felt like um, you were challenged as an officer. And I'm not saying by personnel, just anything in general. Or if you have a fire where you had to kind of, you know, get some people in line or, you know, let's talk about something like that. Do you have any, any call, calls like that that come to mind? Uh, I've got tons of them. <laughs> Pick, um, pick your favorite one
1: <laughs> well, let's 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 talk about one thing first, and we'll get to that. Sure. It's like, and another thing is is like, when you go to a place as a new officer, either that place is playing an arena above you or probably below you. We're not a unit yet. we're not we're not in sync yet. Do you know what I mean? We're not? yes, so yes. and and you know I worked in a busy place and and a guy told me before he goes, he said to me, never expect a place to operate the way that you do. And what I mean is don't take as a new officer, you can't take anything for granted. If if the place you worked in as a firefighter, you know, that line was always at the front door without being told. You can't expect it of the next place you go to. And and I found that out the hard way. One of my first fires. And, and that's the one I use. But, you know, as an officer and I'll talk about that in a minute. But one of your first goals as an officer, you know is to try to get every everybody playing within your playing field now it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow and and we do that through training but you want to get everybody in that company playing at the same level as you do and then and then orders are are done without even being told so i w- I went to a place and and actually I got into it with a captain afterwards and uh, it was a, a we pulled up and it was a L-shaped, seven-story um, multiple dwelling, uh, fireproof. So first time ever in the building for me. I've never been in that building before. But again, no one said to me that there were three independent stairways. If I had known that, I would have I would have used a different stairway. So that was the first issue that I needed to to correct, both with the with the membership and myself. Is that hey, listen, you know now I know this building. But if you get another covering office tomorrow and you have another fire in here tomorrow, someone better tell him that there's three independent stairways in this building so he can choose which one he wants to use to stretch out. Didn't know that. So I get off the rig, I turn a corner, I look all the way down. It's all the way to the other end of the building. It's got to be 800 feet away and it's out a couple windows on the top floor. So I take a deep breath and, you know, I was very happy that the uh, chauffeur told me it was the calmest 1075 he's ever heard. And I said, listen, transmitted 1075, looks like we have fire on the top floor. We go up the center stairway of the L, where where the the L's meet. Sure. And we hook up there. I come out of the stairway. I walk about 20 feet. And then I make the left to go all the way down to where the fire is. And I can see, holy shit, we're not going to have enough holes. Get on the radio. Tell my control man. I go, listen, you're going to have to use 48 links to get to the, it's all the way at the end of the hall. So as I'm walking down, there's a fire door. Past the fire door, and then I see two doors away from where the fire is, another stairway. And now I'm mad, but it's too late. We're committed. You know what I mean? We're we're committed. Point of no return. So I get I get into the fire apartment, and uh, it's 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 one big room going, and it, it was pretty funny because the the apartment was relatively clear of smoke except for the room the room that was on fire, and. Um, So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for the line. And now the truck shows up and I tell him, listen, where's the line? He goes, oh, it's coming. So I ask him, where's the line? It's coming. And uh, so we tell a guy in the truck and get a door and try to put it over the door that's burned away from where the fire is to hold it in there till the line gets there. (laughs) So the guy leaves. Huh?
0: To contain Contain it? Yeah. Okay. So
1: the guy leaves and he comes back with a mattress. Like, really? <laughs> so now I'm waiting and this line still isn't here. So now I got to go look for it. And they're waiting for me at the fire door, which where I used to work, never would have happened. Never, ever would have happened. And not that they did the wrong thing, but I, I would I I would would like to hear from, that's why they give them radios. Hey, we're at the fire door waiting for you to bring us to the fire. So I get up there and I'm like, come on. And a captain of the second two engine orders the line to be charged. So I, I, I'm i getting on the radio. I'm like, don't charge line. Don't charge line. And sure enough, we came up 10 feet short with a charged yeah. hose line. We can't, we're done. So I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to, uh, I go out to, the, I can see a towel ladder bucket at a window. So normally, sometimes they carry a length of uh, inch and three quarter hose in the bucket, but they, you know, it wasn't in this one. So I'm out of business. And the second new engine comes and puts my fire out. While I you're standing there anymore. 10 feet short, 10 feet short. I mean, literally I just couldn't make the turn into the room. Yeah. You know, we got to the apex of the hallway. We had to go five feet, and make a turn. That was, That's how short we were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after the fire is one of those things. And I went right to the captain who was a friend of mine. I was a fireman. with. He was a captain now. And, and I went up one side of him down the other and I was, was not happy. And then I had to address, um, you know, why didn't the line come down? But at the end of the day, and I was a brand new officer in that company, at the end of the day, you know, that's it was my fault. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, the fire went out, but, it you know, there was a lot of things that could have improved on. And, and one of them was, you know, knowing the stairways. So after that, you know, I made it my point, because it was going to be my company, to get to these buildings and find out the layouts. You know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, then, you know. But... Yeah. You know, that's one of those things about you you can never expect guys to be on the same page of you. And if they're not, those guys aren't at that same level. You've got to train them to that point. It's as simple as that. And that's, we talked earlier about uh, the last time about the non-negotiable of training.
0: So let me ask you this. You went up one side down the other of that captain, right? When you went back to your crew Talk about how you went over that, because I think that's a situation that's a lot more common than we probably realize. I think any officer with any experience probably had a situation like that. And, uh, you know, I kind of we talked a little bit before we started recording about the situation that uh, Mm -hmm. I experienced. Yeah. How did you present yourself to your crew? And, And let's talk a little
1: bit about that. So that's a real good question because they're two, they're two different things. You know, I'm talking to an officer one-on-one and now I'm, I'm critiquing with my company as a group. And um, if one guy in that group screws up, we still critique with everybody. Do you know what I mean? As yes. an officer, it's going to be one-on-one. But if there's five or six guys in the company and one guy messes up, I'm not going to pull him aside and single him out because it's the company's fault. Sure. So we sat down as the company. The first thing I talked to was the guy that had what we call the control position. He was the guy who was in charge of setting the pressure, hooking the line up to the standpipe, bleeding out, all that stuff. And he had some time. And I asked him, I go, listen, you know, you charge it. He goes, the the uh, boss from forty eight ordered me to charge that line. I said, okay. He ordered you, so I'm not mad because he ordered you. He said, charge that line now. He's a boss. You're not. Sure. I said, I asked him, I go, did you think about calling me on the radio first and just check in with me to see if I was ready? And he says, well, no, I didn't because he ordered me. I said, I get that, Brian. I said, but, you know, the next time that happens, you know, I am your officer and call me first. Just say, it's, if you're talking a matter of seconds, just let me check with my boss, Cap. You know, and that's how that should happen. You know, then, then, you know, was the, was the the training moment of a, hey, oh, listen, I'm not coming. When I ask you to stretch a hose, I'm asking you to stretch it to the point of entry. Um, I'm not asking you to stretch it to a fire door. So I have to come and get you, you know, and this is, you know, and we went back and we measured and we actually drilled in that building a couple of times, you know, and the fire doors close automatically, but they never work, So they really weren't sure. Uh But if you pass through fire doors with a dry line, you know, we, we, made it a point now that they're chocked and on the fire floor only in the open position. Now we shouldn't have to do that based on an NFPA 14 code, because there's gotta be a standpipe on that side of the firewall, a fire door. And that was the other stairway that I didn't know. About. Sure. And we had talked about the fact that, listen, did you guys know there were three stairways? And they were like, yeah, we thought, you know, I go, I've been here a week. How would I know? Yeah. You know, I missed my third tour here. I, I mean, you got a lot of buildings in the district. I don't can't know them all. So after that, um, you know, and and the, they knew the fact that we were drill, we we're going to drill more. And I I was getting more information from within the company itself on runs, and they didn't feel. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They just didn't feel hesitant to give me information. You know. They, yeah. they weren't, and, you know, and, and I guess maybe not knowing an officer that's that's new, they might be a little bit hesitant. And that's another thing you want to create that environment that when they do send you information up the chain to you. about, hey, do you know that there's another stairway. Uh, you've got to be receptive to it, whether you know it was there or not. They, the guy made it a point to check with you. So it's not a bad thing that he did it. It's a good thing sure. that he did, it, even if you know. Yeah. And, you, you know, I feel like
0: you got to take somebody, everybody has something to bring to the table, regardless if you like the person or not, whether if they're a high performer or not, whether they're a low performer or not, whatever it is, you should always take what people have to say and, you know, think about it or not think about it, but if everyone makes a suggestion, validate it, right? You know, yeah, this person can that's make a, a suggestion. A
1: concept, like, you know what I mean? I do because it's, it's, you know, basically you said everybody has something to bring to the table and that's, one of those things that we may have talked over about personnel is I need to know what you bring to the table, what he brings to the table and what he, as the sure. officer, because I'm that, I'm that shoelace that ties that shoe together, you know? So mm-hmm. if I don't know, you know, what that loop is going to do when I tighten it to that loop, the shoe's never going to get tied. Sure. So, you know, understanding and learning, and it, that's huge. That's a big part of being a new officer is finding out, what people bring to the table. I had a guy that was an elevator mechanic. When we went to elevators, guess who I talked to? The The freaking guy that was yellow. I didn't (laughs) talk to the guy that, that uh, detailed cars for a living on the side about elevators. Sure. You know, or the guy that was brakes when I had the brakes to do in a firehouse. There you go. You got it. So understanding that's, it's funny. You brought it up like that is who, you know, what each member of that unit brings to the table. Uh, because on game day, you know, if you have a, if you have, you know, 10 pieces of a pie, they might be all different pies. At the end of the day, we're eating pie. Sure. (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I learned, and we talked a little bit about this uh, before we started was I think one of my more memorable moments of when I was a new officer was I allowed my opinions of someone to cloud my judgment of what they had to say. And that was, I think, my first biggest lesson as an officer. Um, I had an employee that I worked with that had a terrible name for themselves. Um, They continued to show me on a daily basis why they had a terrible name for themselves. And then we went to a fire. We were on our way to a fire, first due, working fire, police on the scene. I mean, you're hearing all the right stuff. And that person was driving the engine, was the only driver on the engine, which is very unfortunate because that person... Well, I'll leave it at that. You're a smart man. You can figure it out. And, uh, Mm -hmm. they said, Hey, we should do X, Y, and Z. And because they said it, I said, Nope, we're not doing that. We're going to do A, B, and C. And she would, excuse me, that person was right. (laughs) And I looked like an idiot. And the fire went about as good as you thought it probably did. And, you know, (sighs) touches a little bit on what we had to talk about earlier about dealing with people and personnel and the fires are the easiest part of the job. Well, what do you think I just created for myself after that situation? Because there's also people in the back that now don't get to put a fire out because of my decision and my lack of having the ability to, um, understand that everybody has something to bring to the table. You know what I mean? And this is the other, this is the other thing that I say a lot to people too, jokingly, but you know, broke clock is right twice a day. So yeah. don't ever count people out. Y- you know what I mean? And, you know, well, We had unfortunately- a clock in the firehouse
1: that said no drinking before 10, and every number was 10. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: a good one. I like that. Um, but-, <laughs> but it's
1: funny you bring that up, because just today, just this morning, I was talking to my son. Uh, both my boys are firemen in Baltimore City.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, my son worked for a guy the other day, and he said, oh, you heard all this bad stuff. And I go, well, how was it? He, he was a good guy. And I says, listen- You know, like, and I think it's important as an officer because when you get promoted, someone's going to pull you aside and say, hey, that guy over there in 22, he's a a jerk. He's an idiot. You don't give a shit. And then you go there and you work with the guy and already you're tainted. And like I told both my boys when they got on the job, I go, you're going to hear a lot of stuff about a lot of people. Take it in, but still, you know, be big enough to form your own opinions about that person. Don't let your emotions be guided by what someone else says. Uh, My older son, Daniel, went to 23 Truck, and he got told that the boss he was working for uh, was lazy, didn't care, blah blah blah, and this and that. And and the guy turned out to really like my son, Daniel, and the guy turned out to be a great guy. Really took my son under his wing, taught him a lot, gave him his books. Dan loved them. They still talk, but he was told before he went there that he shouldn't. So, you know, as getting promoted, you can't let other people's opinions cloud, you know, one is, you know, your attitude toward your personnel and two is your decision-making. And we kind of discuss a little about what happened and the issue is to you, the issue isn't, you know, what they want to do to you about it. The issue is other people knowing that, that, you know, you had made a decision and you're going to get punished for it. Now they may not be willing to make that decision and you can't let yourself be clouded that way. Because I always say like, you make a bad decision, you know it is. You know it's a bad decision in your gut, you feel it. If your yeah. gut doesn't feel right, you're probably making a bad decision. Sure. You know?
0: you know, and the vice versa on that too, you could have a situation where you're not exactly sure what to do, but for some reason, your mind just keeps, it's telling you to do something. Yeah. And it's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really know if that, I don't really know how to explain that, but. Well, you know, because had- the
1: mind, the mind's a funny thing. If you read a book about how the mind works Mm -hmm. And we only process so much information at such a rate. You know, we take in the, the, we see a lot. And, but the mind only react. We we can only process so much. So what happens is what I think is you get, you get, when the hair is on the back of your neck stands up, you're like, oh, something's going on. The mind realizes it. you're just not, the body isn't reacting to that. So the mind is making, you know, giving you goosebumps, giving you, making you feel uncomfortable in your gut, the mind saying, Hey buddy, you see what's going on here? You better react, make it, you know, and I, I really believe, and I'm not saying that all my decisions are based on intuition and what the mind tells me, Sure. but whenever I've made a decision that I felt was bad, I've always had that, that knot in my gut over it. Like I shouldn't be doing this.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think the other thing too, is there's been plenty of times where I pull up onto something and. I mean, I may not, I may not have ever uh, openly said anything to people about this, but there's been plenty of times where I have no idea what to do. We show up and I'm like, yeah, I don't don't, know the hell do I do. But in my mind, it's just like, it's like a, um, like a hammer hitting a horseshoe, just a ding, ding, ding. And my mind is saying, you know, uh, do this, do that continuously do whatever your mind's telling you to do. If something pops into your head immediately and it stays there, there's a reason. And Mm, I've had several, what's that? It's called muscle memory. Muscle memory. There's been plenty of times in my career as an officer. And one recent situation that I just experienced where, you know, you stand in that fork in the road of you have to make a decision and I've followed my gut. And there's been times where I never, where I didn't follow my gut. And when I didn't follow it, I was wrong. And every other time that I've followed my gut, it's led me to a good outcome. Mm. Um, Whether that good outcome may be immediate or long-term I think it leads you to the right decision and you have to be able to trust yourself because I think, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is if you can't trust yourself, even if your confidence is lacking, there is a, there is a big part of leadership where it's theater. Now you have to have the competence to back that up, but you still have to show confidence on your face, even if your brain's going a thousand miles an hour and you have to be able to regulate that. And I think, you know, you can bounce stuff off other people, you can confide in whoever your um, senior person is about like the company, the situations the things like that. But I don't feel like at least people you work with, you should never just, or you shouldn't, you should, I guess, keep to a minimum how much you express
1: your um, shortcomings or your lack of confidence in yourself. Well, you know, again, I I don't, I I don't. Because I think we're different, but if you look at the attack on Pre Court Manor uh, by the 101st Airborne Division, um, where they took out triple 88s, um, and um, the guy that was making those decisions, he he had a conference with his with his crew first, his his company, and there was a couple of decisions that were made based on what other guys thought, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I've I can't tell you that I've never got into a fire department. And, and had my arm around the nozzle and say, "Which way do you think it is, left or right?" You know what I mean? Like be, we're all valuable, and, and that's that's the beauty of operating in a well-trained unit. Is sure. you know you're the boss, and it doesn't diminish your level of of respect or authority. Leaning on a guy, going, "Hey, is it? What do you think? Is it left or right?" I can't. I, I'm really not sure here. This one's sure. got me. And the nozzle man, well, I'm feeling a lot of heat on my right hand side. Okay, well, let's go to the right then. You know, that's. There's nothing wrong with tapping into your resources and that's what that is. Like sure. I said, I wasn't an elevator guy. I had a guy that was an elevator guy. I was the boss, I should have the answers. There's nothing wrong not of of not being the expert on everything. There isn't. And I and you know you talk about that trust thing. You know, you try to make shit up about something you don't know. Someone that knows is going to know you're making shit up about sure. something you don't know. You know. Sure. And, and that's a exactly. chink in the armor. That's a chink in that, well, this guy is just, you know, he's making shit up as he goes. Yeah. And, you know, I think as a, as, a, as an officer, because we play in that arena of decision-making and and understanding personalities, and we'll talk about that, you know, about decision-making as it pertains to your membership. But we live in an arena where we've got to make decisions. You know, and people are going to look to our decisions, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tell someone we're going to go in this building that looks like it's getting ready to fall down because they say there's people in there, and they've got to respect you. Unequivocal, you know, and you know, you start doing that stupid stuff of trying to make shit up and and you know, every little chink in that armor and that in that in that um you know barbed wire fence we call trust, you know, any little chink in that, you know, over time it'll 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 erode away to the point where like I'm going nowhere, this guy. You know, so there's nothing wrong with with tapping into your resources. If if your mind's going a million miles an hour and you just you, you need something that's gonna settle you back in. You know, you know, what do you think? Are they using the front door? Or are they using the side door? What do you think? Because I don't find anything wrong with that.
0: Sure. And let me just let me just clarify, because maybe I said it wrong. I wasn't saying make things up because you don't. Oh, know no, no, I'm
1: just I, that's just a term. I. Was using. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, I understand. I understand. I just want to make sure I, I make it clear that I'm not saying make things up and, you know, pretend like, you know, the answers to everything. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, you know, you need to be confident when you make your decision. Right. Even if you're unsure of your decision, but you know there's a reason why your, your body or your guts telling you to do something, mm-hmm. be confident in it. That's what yeah. I mean. So I apologize if that wasn't clear. Or, no, or no, I, no, 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 no apologies necessary.
1: Misled like your you. boss. Never bosses don't apologize. <laughs> oh,
0: um, I'm kidding. Well played, sir. Thank you. Uh well played, my friends. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. Um, so, uh, with that being said, about um, not apologizing. Uh, let's talk about non-negotiables. What do you think are some non-negotiables that work for you and um, as an officer, what should they be thinking of when they think of non-negotiables, how to use it and what they are
1: well there's, the big one is is training. It's a non-negotiable you know and and um you know a lot of guys, I think well I think one reason young officers don't like to train or new officers don't like to train is they're afraid that they may put themselves in a position where they look bad. They may not know the subject. Well, that's, that's something like, if you're going to give a drill, it's not like you're making a decision on a fire ground about something. You have time to prepare for that. So, you know, if you don't know an answer to drill that you're giving um, that's that 100% on you. Do you know what I mean? But t- yes. training for me was a non-negotiable. So does that mean, like, I think we talked about it a little bit last time. It doesn't mean that, you know, every time I came to work, we were, laying out a thousand feet of hose and flowing water and and going in and cutting roofs in vacant buildings. All it means is that we did something every day. That's all it means, you know? And, and, uh, um, so that was the big one for me. The other one was that, you know, when we went out that door, you conducted yourself as a professional, you know, um, the democracy ends at the overhead door. It's as simple as that. I, I, I had very little tolerance Um, with, with that kind of stuff, you know, tough cell phones are a big thing. You know, I I would, it would drive me batty when I saw guys with cell phones on runs, you know, not just on the rig, but, you know, in an apartment when, when we're, when one of the guys is doing, putting oxygen on a a patient and they're on their phone, I mean, it would drive me nuts. And, and, you know, and I I, I won't say that not having a a cell phone on a rig was a non-negotiable, but they knew I frowned on it but acting like a, like a, a moron on the fire ground was a non negotiation You, you act, you conducted yourself as a professional. If you can't, if you want to play that game and think that then we can, we can go back to the firehouse and run it the way the rules say we we're supposed to run the firehouse. You know, I'll be down every five minutes to check on uniforms. I'm not a uniform guy, but you understand that when you go out that door, you are a professional firefighter and you represent not the FDNY, not New York City, not yourself. You represent 88 Engine. Because when we screw up, you know, no one's going to say, oh, Timmy Clutch screwed up. They're going to say 88 Engine did. Sure. You know, and I think that's one of the things. That, and to me, you know, that's that, you know, level of non-negotiable about being professional. You want to go back to the firehouse and run around naked, do it. I don't care. <laughs> but you, right. you go out that door and you conduct yourself as a professional. Because if you can't, I'm going to have an issue with it. Right. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and again, the democracy ends.
0: Yeah. And I guess to clarify that, I clear it up a little a little bit as well is um, there is a difference between seeking out those that have strengths into this certain situations that you're in and a democracy, too. Right. Like you talked about before, like if you're unsure of something, you're like, hey, you think they're going through the front door or the elevator stuff with the guy you had that was an elevator mechanic? that's tapping into resources that's mm-hmm. not creating a democracy and and i think some people do that really good and i think people come very short uh, fall
1: short on it well but if um, you know like we had said already if you know the strengths the and weaknesses of your members sure that that democracy rule of decision making will be the same anyway yeah you know like i know that he's good at this that's why he's doing it it's not personal Sure. Let, let's make no mistake about it. Decisions on the fire ground are not personal. If you're an officer and you're allowing, like you, and you said that already, if you're allowing a personal feeling to cloud your decision-making, you are a poor officer. going to. You, know, you recognize the fact that you said, one, two, three, ABC. You know, yeah, you let true. some personal feelings cloud your judgment, but right. you corrected it. You understood it and corrected it. The people that just continue to do that, I don't like this guy, so he's always getting... now. Using a poor position as a punitive measure is not a bad thing. is not it's not retaliation. it's not you know like if if um, if you failed to get the roof position like you you know well, I, I didn't think it was important. Well, guess what you get for the next 10 times you come to work. The roof position. you get the roof position. got it. you know and and it, it's is it punitive? It might be. Again, when it comes to that type of thing, you put yourself in that position, not me.
0: Sure. And you know, you can use that as motivation too. So I had an officer where we had five on the floor. So it was three for suppression, two for the ambulance, right? So we cross staff um, in our department. We're responsible for the ambulances. And the officer would come in and go, he'd line the firefighters up. They know who the driver was, right? So now they just need the bucket guy. So there's three people. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. And he starts hitting you with area knowledge, building knowledge, firefighting knowledge, equipment knowledge. First person get one wrong, ambulance. Second person get one wrong, ambulance. Last man standing, fire truck. And at first, I didn't really understand what he was getting at. But what I ended up figuring out was well, now we're all studying together. Mm -hmm. We're going over all the questions we got wrong because he didn't let us forget which ones it was, which ones it were, which you know what I'm trying to say, right? So everything, whatever he asked, when you got it wrong, we wrote that down and we, that's what we talked about for the day, drilled on for yeah. the day, used for the day, whatever it was, that's what we did. And what the funny part was, you know, everybody kind of got their, uh, turns on the ambulance, some more than others. And it got really interesting when, you know, the person that got on the ambulance the most, cause they weren't as sharp as the other guys through no fault of their own, but it's just some people are, you know, some mm-hmm. people have a better level of understanding and- so basically, you talk that the ambulance sucks. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a busy ambulance. That was not fun. Yeah, yeah, but I'm you know kidding.
1: what though?
0: I'm just no, no, I know. I understand. No, I understand. But and the same thing that you said, he was really, really big on. You know, I don't give a crap what your assignment is. You better do the absolute. You better be the best ambulance driver there is. You better be the yeah. best firefighter there is. You better. You're you're aiding, so you're in the back. Anyone sick, dying, dead better be treated like your family. 100% professionalism at all times.
1: Well, how many times treat- have you been to a fire where one of your members came up and said, boy, do you should have seen what happened back here. You know, you, you didn't and like, what do you mean? We never lost water. We never had an issue. Well, that's because I took care of it. And that's what you mean by that is like, so he was, his job was the hump hose, Sure. And, you know, he did it the best he could be. And he, and he saw a problem develop and fixed that without us even knowing. And sure. those are those untangibles that yeah. that you really can't put your finger on.
0: No, and there's another really good one that came to mind as you were talking was um, <clears throat> training and all those things. Are not training the uh, non-negotiable of training. Now you don't have to pull hand lines and throw ladders for two hours every day, every shift to no. be very, very good. You no. don't. But there is something to be said about um, being engaged. You can be engaged and talk about things and discuss things and go over things that keep you, uh, operationally smart, operationally smart, excuse me. And then also like you talked about, um, before we started recording with, uh, operational engagement of, you know, yeah, you may be in the rear and you're, you don't have an assignment right now, but because you're engaged, you're seeing, you're talking. And I mean, I have this on my crew where if we're writ, yeah, we're not, Going in, we're standing by for the as the Rick company, but we're talking about stuff, which leads to hours long discussions after the call at the firehouse, or we're on, you know, a medic local. Hey, you know, what would you do if this room is on fire? Hey, this looks like a shitty a, shi- yeah, a shitty stretch. Or man, this house is pretty cluttered up. If we had to get this guy, or we had a fire in this guy's bedroom, it's going to be a nightmare up here. Like we got to remember that operational engagement and engagement in your day, I think are just as important and as sharp or will sharpen you just as much as pulling a dry or bowling hand lines every single day. You know, I think, um, you know, and one specific example is the firehouse that I work at. Um, we don't have a day. Room. There's no, there are no recliners. There's nothing. I mean, you, I guess you could get comfortable in the bunk rooms, but like we don't go in the bunk rooms and just hang out. But yeah. um, so that what that that fosters something that's very unique that I haven't seen anywhere in the fire department, especially mine, where now you have the opportunity as an officer and a crew to really um, strengthen um, that engagement. Because like for us, we're either hanging out behind the engine talking about fireman stuff or calls or whatever, listening to calls that come in on the radio with flip to the fireground channel and listen to it. That leads to discussions yeah. or we'll go into we have a, it's a training room. So we'll like push some tables together, put chairs around it and everyone kind of migrates through. But either way, we are all together somewhere in the firehouse as an entire shift Mm. and those lead to those discussions
1: and that's staying engaged. That's so for a young officer, a guy that's first getting, you know, the the simple thing would be never miss an opportunity to drill. And and you can, you know, like being engaged, engaged in the firehouse, you know, sitting on the back step. We used to just sit in the back step. And next thing you know, we had a, we were having a full fledged drill. That was not our drill time, you know. Sure. We would go to an EMS run, like you said, and the next thing you know, we're drilling. We'd be at the fire scene, you know. And if you don't have an assignment, it's easy. Oh yeah, hey, uh, you know, for you turn around, the guys are talking about the, the the girl that was sitting at the bar the night before, yeah. and you know that that would that would annoy crap out of me. Like there's there's a lot going on. Why aren't you watching what's going on? And I always said, you know, you be an alley cat. Be an alley cat, you don't see birds flying away with cat, alley cats in their claws, you know, because the alley cat, cat sees what's going on around them all the time. You know, and I think that, you know, by by being engaged and, and you keep them engaged when they need to be engaged. You know, you're not going up there at four o'clock in the morning when everybody's, you know, racked out and shake them and go, hey, let's go downstairs and talk about fires. You know, they don't need to be engaged then. But if you're sitting in front of a building on fire with a lot of stuff going on, and you just haven't an assignment yet, you'd better be engaged. And I think that that it, it's it's a great training opportunity. Yeah. Kind of funny was like um, we went to a fire one time and, and John Salka was the chief in the 18th. And it wasn't much of a fire. It was out one window on like the third floor. We were the third do engine. So, you know, I know my responsibilities as the third do engine. So as soon as I got there, I told 88, start a line to the front door with enough hose to cover the, the fire floor in the area above it. So we show up at the front door and I'm standing there and I start, you know, just looking around. And uh, Solko comes up to me and asks me, who, uh, who told you to stretch that line? And I told him, nobody. I said, that's my response. He goes, we don't need another line here. I go, chief, it's my responsibility to stretch another line. He goes, well, I like to be in total control. So I said, OK, chief, no problem. We put the line away. And then I, I called him and I said, listen, I don't get to stretch hose enough as it is. So any opportunity I get to stretch hose, whether it's we're going to use it or not, in a fire scenario, I, I go, Chief, I'm going to do it. And I just, I, the reason I'm calling you is if we go to another fire tonight and I'm third new engine, we're stretching a line to the front door. I just want to let you know that. And he, he kind of backed off. He goes, you know, you put it that way. It, it It's a drill. And it's, it's a way to stretch. keep them engaged. It's yeah. a way, because, you know, you, if you jump up on the back step and you know you're not going to stretch a line. Because it's, it, you you think it's a nothing fire. You know, it's easy to lose. All of a sudden, you're talking to a guy and I'm on a radio going, hey, start a line. Start a line. Where are you guys? Start a line. You know, it's incumbent on that officer to keep them engaged. You know, whether it's the fire or out of the firehouse. And that's, you know, that ties into that non-negotiable.
0: It, you know, it also ties into your command presence as well. And command presence is incredibly important as an officer because that's going to give people the reason to follow you. They're going to want to follow you. You know, one thing I've noticed as an officer, as time went on with the crew that I'm with now, um, the two-way street of respect is there. And the one of the biggest um, one of the biggest ways I feel like you can tell if they trust you is they come to you with things, right? So, hey, you know, we go to pull up, LT. I'm going to flake the line out. I'm going to stand right here. I know you know that. You don't need to tell me that. But they're telling you that because they want you to know that. They want you to know that they value your, maybe not your opinion. Maybe that's the wrong way to say that. But do you understand? But it even saying? goes
1: beyond that, too, is, you know, when they knock on your door in your office and they want to talk to you about the troubles they're having at home, you know, that to me is, all right, this guy's confiding in me. True. You know what? I know he's competent to fire. He does the same thing. He goes, Lou, I'll be right over here if you need this flake sure. line line. I'm gonna flake it out upstairs, Lou. I know he knows that. But when they come up, you know, that that when they're saying, Lou, you mind if we talk a little bit? I have some issues at home. And and I think it's important, even you know, they're not looking for answers. Like yep. a lot of guys try to get and say, Well, maybe listen, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, they all stink. You know, you know, these guys when when someone knocks on your door, they just want someone to listen. And they want to yeah. know when they walk out of that office, it what stays. they said to you was going to stay in that office. You know, you want to, and that's, that's a bridge that, you know, some guys don't understand is that trust factor. And we keep going back to that is such an important aspect of being a quality company officer. And it, to the firefighter, it doesn't matter where that loss of trust occurs, whether it's the fire ground or the firehouse, it really doesn't matter. Once they lose trust in you, they're going to lose trust in you. You know, so you got to be very careful. You know, it's a great sign when guys come to you and they want to talk to you. But you've got to understand, you might hear some real juicy stuff. But you know what? The guy leaves that office, you know, put it in the garbage pail and flush it down the toilet. It's no one else's business. Sure. And I've had a few times,
0: too, where, like, people come up and they'll start talking about, they'll talk to me about whatever it is. Or, hey, you got a minute, that kind of thing. Yeah. One thing I've had a lot of success with and I think I've had a lot of great return on when it comes to trust is I always ask them like, you know, I let them talk, I let them do whatever, blah, 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 where I say something to the effect of, you know, hey, so did you want me to listen? Would you like my advice? What What can mm-hmm. I do for you for this situation? And I think that really grasped a lot of people because I think, as you said, they may only just want to talk. They may only want to just get out what they have to say sometimes they're emotional, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's Mm -hmm. bad, whatever it is, but it's typically, they're not going to run up to tell you, um, at least in my opinions, great things if they're asking to talk to you by themselves. Yeah. Right. So I've had a lot of success with that. And what I think the biggest takeaway was I did a, I did an employee evaluation with somebody and I said to that person, you know, Hey, look, I can't get better being an officer if I don't have anything, any critiques or anything, um, you know, from you, is there anything I can improve on anything you liked, you didn't like, you know, whatever it is. And the very first thing that person told me was, you know, regardless if a situation was bad or good, you always asked me what you could do for me or how you could help and what exactly you needed, what exactly I needed from you. And that means a lot because, you know, maybe the, not those exact words, but basically what he was saying was, you know, sometimes I just want you to listen, but in the same token though, too, you know, I, I, I appreciate you caring enough and sincerely wanting to help. And that's that intangible thing that you're not going to learn that in a book or you're not going to learn that. um, Yeah. In a book, you're not going to learn that in classes. I mean, I think sincerely caring Either that
1: character trait is in you or or it isn't in here. Yeah. You're either going to have it or not. When they say to you, listen, and and like, I I totally agree with you. and, And you know, when guys ever came to me, I'm like, what do you need? What do you need me to do for you? Is it time sure. off? Is it this, you you know? And then I look at my options of what I can do. And, you know, if you're willing to and truly in your heart willing to stick your neck out for a member that's having issues, you know, one of your company that's having issues, I mean, that, that solidifies it. And I'm not saying do it because you want to be trusted or you want to be that guy you, and, and you've got to be willing to do it. You know, like, you know, what do you need from me? Do you need me to get your... How about if we switch your vacation? We'll get it switched. You'll start next week. You'll have two weeks off to get this stuff. I can do that. It's, a, it's I got to make a few phone calls, but I think I can get that done for you. Is that what you need? And I would never push someone into something they didn't want when we're sure. dealing with a personnel issue. Sure. You know, if you want to... No, hey, Lou, I think it's better that I come to work. But there is a point. We, we, we're, we're probably there with this, but there is a point... As an officer, there's the unpopular decision. Is like I don't think you're going to be in the right mindset to come to work. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you may have to say that. I don't know if I told you that story about the kid that I sent sent away uh, on the last one. I don't remember hearing it. Talk about it. So, and and, you know, personal decisions, personnel decisions. um, You know, sometimes they may cost friendships. And I had a guy and I, I tell the story and, and because it's, a, it's one of those hard things to do. He was having issues and I knew he was having issues and um, I would walk up to my office and he had done three tours in Iraq. And did I tell you this? I don't know if
0: I believe he you would, did.
1: He, yeah, did I do it on the last to, one?
0: Yeah. you No, no. You, uh, when you called me or when we, uh, okay. we chatted on the phone. Yeah.
1: So he would sit in front of the computer and watch just headshots, you know, from Afghanistan. Boom. Over and over. Yeah. So, you know, long story short, the captain wanted to give him more and I, I thought it wasn't the right thing to do. And so they made him a chauffeur and he was failing as a chauffeur. And, you know, when he when he started spiraling out of control, you know, you're always I think everybody um looks for someone else to blame it on. It it can't be me. It's it's his and so I became his target. You know, it was long story, I became the guy's target. And it it exploded one day in the kitchen and uh, it got bad in the kitchen. So we took it to the office because I just didn't want to hash out in the the kitchen. And then he could say what he wants. Once you're in the office, he could say what he wants. So finally I told him, listen, this is what's going to happen. You're picking up the phone and you're calling the counseling unit and you're going to leave here. And uh, he's yelling back at me. And I said, or I can pick up the phone and call, but I said, I don't, care which way which road we take but at the end of the day we're going to get to the same place you're going to go to the council and figure out what you need obviously you know we don't have here you know the resources here to you know and I told him you you need to you need to take care of this he's screaming at me so finally he calls up he's gone and when he's walking out of the office I mean he's bad so I told the senior guy the sergeant he's not really a sergeant well that's basically what he is I said you know I just lost a friend and it was hard to do you know, but you know, as an officer, you've got you've got to make those decisions. And and uh, it was about a year, a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. I hadn't seen the guy. he had come back to work. I was on vacation. He hurt his shoulder, and then he. So we were at a party, and I see him, and and he comes walking right for me, and uh, and the, this is not the moral, but this is, you know, kind of the crescendo of it, I guess. He asked me, hey, Lou, can I talk to you? And we're at a a fire department function. We're at a a party. And and I says, absolutely, anytime, man. And he walked up to me and he he started crying. And he wrapped his arms around my, and he hugged me. And then he looked at me, he says, Lou, I just want to tell you, you saved my life. And it took my breath away, made my knees weak. And so what I would say is, you know, sometimes the tough decisions, the unpopular decisions may cost you friends. But like we said earlier, in your heart, if you know you're doing the right thing, it's it's easy to do. Sure. And that comes back to the other thing we talked about that you hear it a lot is everybody talk, you know, the mission to men and me, that's the fire service, the mission to men and me. And 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 I agree with it to some extent, but I don't agree with it to some other extents, because you know, without quality men or quality firefighters, excuse me, that are trained and motivated in good health and in a good mental state. Unless you have that, the mission's a failure before it starts. So as a company officer, you know, all those non-negotiables are training, you know, and, and handing out assignments. You talked about how the guy handed out the uh, ambulance assignments. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know there's a guy that's not in the right mind for the night tour, the day tour, whatever it might be, maybe you don't give him a VES or a roof position that could that that he's going to operate on his loan, alone, uh, alone, you know, where you want him under your direct supervision and I would tell him, listen, why don't you just? And I would ask him, especially if he had time, you know, to avoid making him look bad to his uh, to the people underneath him, the younger members. Say, listen, I'm going to give you the, the backup tonight. You know, I just I'd rather have you on the backup. And most time, I got they realize, hey, listen, you know what? I'm better off in the backup tonight. Sure. So as an officer, you've got to understand your firefighters, your company, and then you know, then we can look at that mission because. If the company isn't firing on all cylinders, you know, that mission is doomed to failure from the beginning.
0: Yeah. And you know, the other thing too is there are zero tolerance things when it comes to being a supervisor. Like, you know, and this is something we talked about earlier was um let me pull my note up since I just lost it. Uh the bat the whole concept of you know, the Oh, back in the day, we take care of each other back. In, you know, these, these things, right. That whole long boots and three quarter long coats and three quarter boots and 10 helmet. Like, yeah, I mean, it, w- it, it, was back in the day and it's nostalgic and it's fun to look at, but ultimately as an officer, um, there's non-negotiable or there's zero tolerance things that you will be accountable for. And no matter how cool you think certain things are and, you know, you don't have a choice, Right. So the department I work for is county government. The county government, human resources, have zero tolerance things that I have to enforce it. I don't have a choice once yeah. you get to a certain point. Yep. You, you know what uh, I mean?
1: Yeah, well, I know so, exactly what you mean.
0: <laughs> what's that?
1: I know exactly what you mean.
0: So, but you are obligated to hold that line completely, right? The people that you work with should not be putting you in the position to act on that. And when they do... When they do, it's on them. You, you know what I mean? So you're always, always going to take care of your people, but there comes a point where you have to do your job and there is no choice. And that's where you're met with that obligation from the people that you work with of, if you if we're in this position, this is on you. Or like your example, we're going to end up in the same place, whether I do this or whether you do this, The same things, gonna, the same outcomes there, you're just going to deal your own fate on how it happens, yeah. whether I do it or you do it. So that also comes to, with that being said, to the whole, uh, what we talked about earlier, excuse me, was um, defending people in your company when they need it versus covering for them. There's a big difference. You know, if you see something and you're just going to blindly defend your crew, that may not be the best thing because it's easier to just go along with what they decided rather than to say, hey, I'm defending them because it was the right decision. And you know it's the right decision. So, yeah, well, like,
1: listen, you know, it's the hens running the hen house. Sure.
0: <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know what yeah.
1: I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I, I i agree with you. Like, I, I get that all the time. And, well, you know, I used to get, well, when you got on the job, you guys used to do that. Like, okay, well, times have changed. What do you want me to tell you? You know, cell phones, there were no cell phones then. We were three quarter boots. You know, we, we were three quarter coat, half, half, half length coats, three quarter boots, no bunker gear when I got on. Um, But society as a whole was different then. You know, everybody used to talk, you know, on Wall Street, the two martini lunch. When's the last time you heard that? Society just doesn't tolerate that anymore. You know, there's a lot of other things in society that, you know, do I think it's goofy? Of course, I think it's goofy. But listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's still a job. And it's the greatest job in the world. But at the end of the day, it still is a job. And I have to conform To what the people that are, you know, that are making the higher decisions, I got to conform with, you know, and I'm not going to cover for, for guys that I know are wrong. You know, you can't do that. Defending your company, I'll defend them to the wall. If I know they're right, you know what, I, I, I'll go to fist with you. But, you know, like I always said that we were the greatest enablers in the universe. The fire. service. We were the greatest. How many times did we cover for the guy that didn't come to work? Or how many times did we did cover for the guy that was alcohol on his breath? And I don't think there's anything wrong with covering for guys. I, I I don't. I mean, I would cover. I'm not looking for anybody to lose their job. But, we, you know, when is, was someone going to say, hey, enough's enough? You That's know, right. we've been covering for you for this long. And we would tell guys that would come in after, like, softball, you know what? Take the night off. We'll get a guy to work for you. Just drive home. Even though you're supposed to be working, just drive home. And no one ever thought, well, what happens if, he gets in an accident on the way home. You know, we've signed him into the book. Yep. So, you know, those things it just we don't tolerate it can't be tolerated anymore. You know, a lot of stuff is because a lot of what we do is behind the door. But you know what? There's a fine line between, you know, defending your company and and being that enabler and covering up for your company.
0: And, sure. And yeah, no, I agree. And I think there's I think there's something to be said about it. Too, because you can establish a winning culture by setting high standards. So, I think as much as guys like it when you cover for them, or they feel that you care, I feel like they care more if you hold that standard, or they know, you know, hey, like here's something that's kind of prevalent I've I've heard of in a place. Um, is they're called uh, like ghost swaps. I'm not saying anyone in particular. I'm just saying the ideology of a ghost swap is put it in the staffing system Mm -hmm. and the person's not really there, right? No, 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 no. You are not allowed to do that. And then you continuously tell people no when they're trying to break or bend rules that I get it, but if you do this and you get caught, you're going to get crushed. And then I'm going to, so am I, if I allow it. And if I tell you no and you still go and do it, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna have a huge problem and you're gonna lose in this situation, not me. And I think once you see what I've noticed is there's been a lot of times where people were in a bit of a jam and I really like the person, I really respect them, and you look them square in the face and say, Look, man, I know this sucks, but no, you're gonna have to handle it. Yep. That's just the way it is unless you go about the right way of fixing it. And over time of that happening, what I've learned was same people, similar people, excuse me, similar situations. Now they're coming to me saying, Hey, X, Y, and Z happened. This is what I'm doing. And it's like, great. They solved it the correct way. There there's no, you know, um, unnecessarily well, bending or breaking of the rules. We and said that a little earlier.
1: earlier, you know, about like, listen, if if, 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 if a problem arises and you're the officer, you know, I want to know the truth. What, what happened? How'd we get here? what did you sure. do to get here? You know, sure if I, if I get caught defending a lie, I, I'm not going to be a happy camper. You know, just, sure. I, I can defend the truth. I can, yeah. but I need to know the truth. I don't need to know. I don't want, I don't want a version of it. I don't want an interpretation of it. I want to know what happened, yep. you know? And I, and you know, these are discussions that we're having about being a company officer The guys are like, Oh, we want to talk about fires. We want to talk about, and I get that. We want to talk about fires and, and we'll talk about fires, but if you don't get this portion of it, right. Fires aren't aren't even going to be an issue for you anymore. You, you've got sure. to get these things right, you know, and, and you're going to face these. You're going to especially a young officer is going to get his envelope pushed. It It's going to happen. You know, they're going to want to know what they can get away with. And, and you better set that tone right off the bat. Um, and like, listen, I, I will go out of my way for you. I will stick my neck out for you, but I need to know what I'm sticking my neck out for. Sure. You know, and I got to be able to defend that. And I can't defend a lie. I can't defend something that you know isn't right. You know, there, there was, the, the, you know, like there, there was stuff and, and guys would say, you don't want to know that they did that. I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. Because whether I knew or not, and if you're an officer, if there's something going on in the firehouse, whether it's ghost mutuals or, or drinking or, or whatever, whether you know what's going on or not, you're the freaking officer. You're, you're on the hook. So I would always tell guys, listen, I want to know. I can defend the truth. I can't defend a lie. Sure. You know, so.
0: You know, not to make, not to make it a a matter of ease or not, but one thing I've learned about turning a blind eye to things, thinking I was doing people a solid was what I ended up learning is instead of turning the blind eye, you can choose how much you, I don't want to say how much you handle it. You can, when you know about it and you know something's wrong and you, you can see it and you can act on it. Typically, if I feel the situation myself initially, it's much easier to deal with if it becomes bigger than me, it gets out or now it's above my level to where it could be a simple, a simple me getting kind of pissed off and telling you to stop or simple, a little quick written you know, hey, look man, uh, we're going I'm going to have to counsel you. But, we're found the policy. But when you policy.
1: see an issue and they know you see the issue and you don't act on it,
0: that says something It's too.
1: considered as condoning it. Exactly. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. And it, that's, that's what it's considered as. And, and you know like, well, he did it, he did it. Like, well, let's stop that right here. He didn't do sure. it. <laughs> and you don't know what happened behind closed doors. Exactly. You know, you want to try this thing, you know, you're going to find yourself in the same place, but if you if you know they're doing stuff and you don't it's going to be interpreted as condonement that you condone it.
0: And that's the other thing too is the uncomfortable situations is something you're going to deal with every day as an officer. I yes. don't care who the, think of think of the biggest superstar officer that anyone's ever heard of. They themselves have been in situations dealing with problems that made them incredibly uncomfortable and they hated it. But everyone goes through it. Not everyone's going to have a career fire in their shift. Not everyone's going to go to a fire as much as others, but here's the biggest consistency that I've noticed when it comes to those uncomfortable situations, right? You're focused on, I guess, I don't want to call it the threat, but the the person that you're immediately interacting with um, the confrontation, we'll call it the confrontation, that confrontation that happens is incredibly uncomfortable, right? It's not fun. You don't like it, but everyone else is watching everything. They know that confrontation is going on and they're watching Everything you're doing, because if they watch you and Billy get into it, or, you know, little Billy does whatever, and they watch you, hey, man, no worries, it's all good, or, hey, just, we won't talk about it, people are watching and hearing those things. So now when it's their time in the breach, they're waiting for the exact same treatment, but now you're going to try and come in and drop the hammer because the situation may be a little different, or someone else is around when it happens. They're going to be like, well, wait a minute, why are you treating me different? Or they're going to see you allowing someone to get away with stuff and be lazy or be whatever. And those other people that are working hard not doing those things are watching you allow them to get away with crap. That's going to affect oh, your well. But you just got to well. be able
1: to defend that. That's the only thing. Like I had that, exact, you know what I'm that exact scenario where a guy said, well, you know, Jimmy was doing it. And again, I said, you don't know the conversation's. All you know is Jimmy got the day off. That's all you know. Sure. He put in for he couldn't get the day off, and now he's off today. Sure. You know, I had a guy tell me, well, I'm not coming in. I go, well, you're coming in. <laughs> you know, Well, yeah. Jimmy did it. I go, listen, you don't know that. That's the thing is you don't know the conversation I had. Now, if you had come to me up and knocked on the door like Jimmy did and had a, an adult conversation about this, about what you needed, like we already said, you set that tone. What can I do for you? Not, I'm going to do this. I don't care what you do. That Well, once you do that, once we cross that road, you're not getting a day off. You know, you knock yeah. on my door and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. And that's what they don't understand is like, you know, listen, just because he did it doesn't mean he didn't do it without any any um, prior yeah. knowledge of mine or prior discussion about it. You just, yeah. all you saw is what you wanted to see. Sure. You know, and all you interpreted is how you want to interpret it. And, and again, like you said, you're right. You know, and I think the the easiest way to all these little things we're talking about is you, you set the tone from your first day. You know, of who you are, what what we said already, your non-negotiables are, and this and that. You set the tone of what you're going to tolerate, what you're not going to tolerate. And then I'm not going to say you're not going to have those uncomfortable situations, but I think that they will will diminish quite rapidly and they might still happen, but not on the frequency of an officer that allows it to happen.
0: Yeah. And so with that being said, let's say you know, as an officer overall, you're kind of going down that path where you're having more engagements with people like that. Let's say for conversation's sake, things are kind of inconsistent or you realize something needs to change or you need to uh, hit the reset button as an officer. How would you do that? How do you think, um, let's talk a little bit about that. How do you think uh, an officer can recognize? Turn it around
1: or? turn it around yeah
0: turn it around um, reestablish themselves or if they realize maybe their leadership's not that great maybe they're in a place that they recognize people are not fo- here's a good way to say it they're not being followed
1: you need to hit that reset button how do you think you would do that well you may have stumped me <laughs> What's well that? you may have stumped me <laughs> well because i said already is like you know, the basis of the fire service is trust. It's the fuel that runs that engine we call the fire service. And, you know, once you don't have it, it's awfully hard to get it. And once you've lost it, it's almost impossible to get it. And I think um, as hard as it is, and I think it is hard to become a quality company level officer, it's not unattainable, but it's hard. I think it's three times as hard to hit that reset button and change the way you do things and change who you are to be, to go from someone who guys don't want to want, want to be led by to that person that wants to be led. And I think that, you know, I think that that officer, that person is going to have to do a lot of soul searching. And I think he might have to have a conversation. um, And I would, I would single out, who I thought the leader of the company was and talk to that person. And then I would talk to the company at a whole. And hopefully from that point forward, my actions um, would, because people would talk a lot. That's what they are. They're talkers. You know, I look at yeah, people's yeah. actions, you know, anybody can talk a good game. You know, you knew, you know the people that were there when it meant that when it was time to be there. And um, you know, once you have those conversations, I think that your actions um, are going to have to prove that. And don't, I, I would, I would say that I wouldn't mistake the fact that those actions are going to be critiqued at a, with a very fine brush, you know, when you're trying to reestablish yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the reason why I bring that up, that's something that I've personally experienced as much as I don't want to admit that, uh, I was going down quite a path that was, um, not very good. And I'm not going to get into too much detail of exactly what that was, but uh, you're a smart guy, so I'm sure you can put two and two together. But uh, we all I realized,
1: through. what's it's that? Not, it's, it's not a unique thing where sure. where that happens, whether it's personal reasons, whether it's boredom sure. with the job, whether it's just, you know, you're tired the nonsense. You know, I got to the point, I, it happened to me too, where I started to drill a little bit less than, and, and, you know, and I was a driller. And my biggest regret is that I didn't drill more. And, you know, I find my, I found myself, like you say, started, but luckily a good officer is going to recognize, Hey, wait a minute here. I'm, I'm getting paid the big bucks to be yeah. that guy. That's always energetic, sure. you know, that always wants to go out and drill it always, whether I want to or not, you know, and, uh, no, I get that hundred percent that, that people experience those feelings. Yeah, and it's tough.
0: It's it's not easy. And and one thing that um that I learned is, it take trust is built over time. So don't rush, mm-hmm. right? Don't force it. It's just like any other relationship you have with any other human being is, those things need to be fostered over time. And as much fun at or as much as it's there as uh, as unfun as it may be. I don't know if unfun's a word, but it may not be enjoyable all the time. However, the juice is worth worth the squeeze when you put the work in. So, Boom. You like that? I never heard that. The juice is worth the squeeze. Juice is worth the squeeze. Worth the squeeze when you put the work in. Drop the money. But, uh, Boom. <laughs> but it, no, it definitely is. And, and once you recognize that you have a situation where you need to make some changes, being humble and going to your crew and saying, "Hey, look, I'm not where I need to be. Um, I know it. I'm not proud of it." I just want you to know that I've recognized it and I'm going to start working on it. And it's not going to happen overnight. No. But if you take every call, every single call, every hour of the day, one day at a time, one shift at a time, one call at a time, and you look at that situation and you do your best, reflect on it, reflect on your 24 or 12 or whatever you work and say to yourself, hey, I should probably do X, Y, and Z better. And then no big deal, clean slate, go to your next day and just handle every day, every call, every hour just take it as it comes and take every call one by one and do the absolute best that you can over time. People are going to see that.
1: I well, think, and, you know, like the, I think you got to look at those things. And I like, I like all of them is that, you know, because like we've been talking about a lot about how an officer has to put so much into it. It's on that officer to put his time, his energy, his strength, his mind um his word into this relationship we call officer firefighter relationship you know what i mean so where's the dividend for us yeah you know what i mean yes. so where's the payoff for us as the officer and that's what you know when when we when we have these conversations about being a good company level officer and the bulk of it we talk about these you know uncomfortable situations in the firehouse and 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 putting yourself at a standard higher than anybody else. And even when you're not motivated to motivate yourself and sticking your neck out there when, you know, sometimes you may not want to stick it out there, you know, and being that guy. So where's the dividend? The dividend comes in on game day when I have to make these risk-based decisions and I look at the guys and, 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 when I tell them, listen, this is what we're going to do on the fire ground. That's the dividend. That's the sign. You know, not, not how, you know, well, that, those guys have never seen to have a problem at that firehouse. But boy, they don't know how to put a fire out. Yeah. You know, so there's something going wrong there. You know, they, they no problem in the firehouses, but they fly below the radar. That's all that means. It doesn't mean they're a good quality place. You sure. know, when, when you, you know, when you hear them say, hey, that place is squared away. It means that when there's an issue, they take care of it. And then that translates into the dividend on the fire ground, that unit operating, like we said, as, as that, that chain link, that one, one link accents the other, and it's a continuous loop. And there's the dividend. And that's why as officers, you know, because it is about the company, it's about the company look good. It's And, and the only time we do that in the public side or in the chief eyes, is on the fire ground. So all that investment of time and, and, and energy and, And even when I'm not motivated, because it happens to all of us, you know, when you can look at that dividend of, wow, you know, and I I told you about this basement fire I had, you know, I don't know if I talked about anything, but
0: you didn't go, go over it because I think it applies here. I think it's a good fire story to tell.
1: So, you know, we pulled up and it didn't, it didn't present itself as anything real bad, but it turned out that the fire had complete possession of the cellar. And every time we opened the door to the cellar stairs, the fire would blow out into the first floor. I mean, it had complete possession. So, you know, I could have made the, easily made the decision uh, not to go down the stairs. Um, but we made the decision to go down the stairs. And no one believed that we went down the stairs. A chief came up and he goes, how did you put the fire where'd out? Where'd you bring the line? I go, we went down the stairs, chief. He goes, there's no way you went down those stairs. And I said, yes, we, we went down those stairs, chief. And, and he said to me, he goes, wow, that's a great officer. And I looked right at him. I said, I disagree, chief. I was just along for the ride. It was all the guys. The Guys did it. And that's the dividend. When, sure. when I walked around that fireground, I couldn't have been. I was like a kid on Christmas morning that got 20 Tonka trucks. You know what I mean? I was so yeah. happy. I was so, I mean, that company to me was, well, I was so proud of that company. And all that energy that I had invested in the drills and this and that, that's that dividend. You know what I mean? And, and that's when that company has made full sort. Hey, there's that's a squared away joint right there. That's what you want to be told. You don't want to be, oh, that's a place that doesn't have any problems. It just means they fly below the radar. You know, when they say that's a squared away joint, that's the compliment. And so the dividend of all that hard work, all those uncomfortable situations... You know, are those decisions on the fire ground that 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 get followed through without even a second thought? Because sure. that level of trust is there because of everything you've put into it ahead of time. And I think you have to look at that as an officer, because that is the end run. The end run. I don't want to drive in my car and go, wow, everybody thought I was a good guy today. You know, good guys are a dime a dozen. They really are. I want to be right. that guy that, that walks around the fire ground. Go, did you see what 88 Engine did today? Yeah. Did you see? We went down those stairs. There ain't five engines in New York City that would have gone down those stairs. We did. You know, sure. that's what I. That's the guy. I want to be. Yeah,
0: and I think that goes into uh, personal power versus positional power too, right? So if you were the lieutenant and you were to say, Mike, I need you to pull this line, or I need you to do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to do it. And you're, you're the lieutenant. You told me to do it. But when you go into the position like those stairs, I will follow Tim down those stairs because I always well, have the ability. I'd, I'd like to, to say, believe
1: that that's what they felt, but <laughs> you know,
0: just the idea I'm just I'm just simply yeah. going over what what it is. Um, I was
1: told that too, but
0: it, sure, but it, I mean it, it makes the case is what I'm getting at is any guy could look at that and go that's not safe. It we can't go down there. It's untenable. Well, now once you have that quote-unquote safety thing, they have that easy fail safe, right? But if you prepared me, right? I know Tim has trained me. And if Tim says, let's go, I know he knows we can go. I trust Tim. I want to do it because it's Tim needs us to put it. We were going to go put this line out.
1: It's it's a It's a great scenario to talk about because of a lot of different things. And it was one of the things we want to get into is, is because, you know, all that investment in time that we make ahead of time that we've talked about already in, in this one. And the one we did before, that investment about the firehouse and, and understanding what's going on in guys' lives so we can make those fire ground decisions. And I think another thing that officers do on a fire ground and, and what we had to do with this one was, you know, we have to make risk-based decisions, you know, like, sure. and the risk is, is my people. And there's another term out there we call it an obligation. and obligation is them, right? And we can't make a decision and and separate the two. Those two words, risk and obli- the obligation, Um, gee, I felt like Joe Biden there. Um, those two words, they've got to be interlaced. Okay. When I'm making those and, and, and that decision that day to go down the stairs was the report of people on the second floor and no other access into that cellar. So it was left very, you know, I had very few choices. I could have said stuck a line in the window. I could have done that. But based on our obligation to the people that we were told were above, Mm -hmm. you know, I was willing to make that risk-based decision because I interlace those two things. To just make a risk-based decision solely on you, on my membership, without considering the obligation of the people we're sworn to protect, then you're gonna make bad decisions. You've gotta interlace the two and look at them both at the same time. You know What does the risk mean to the obligation that we owe those people we're sworn to protect? And when you make those fireground decisions that way, and you have that company that trusts you implicitly because you've invested that time in training, the time into the people themselves, but their needs, like we said, Hey, what do you need, bro? What do you need me to do? Sure. Because, because I'm going to ask that question again, down the road. I want you to say, Lou, what do you need me to do? I need you to go down these basement stairs. That's what I need you to do. So all I need you to do is, as, a fireman, I don't need anything from the fireman in the firehouse. Right? Right. right. As the officer I'm the giver, I don't need anything from you guys. On the fire ground is when I need stuff from you guys. That's right. uh, And that's how that works. So, you know, like when people say, oh, that junk in the firehouse, the decisions about how we do things in the firehouse has no bearing on the fire ground. They're just they're they're another guy that's destined not to be a good officer. You know, just yeah. like that risk based decisions interlaced with the obligation the way, you know, when we're in the firehouse, it's what the firemen need from me as the officer. And on the fire ground, it's what I need from them. I need you to do this and I need you to do it without equivocation.
0: Yeah, and I think once you have those situations in the firehouse that are, you know, they see you continuously make continuously making uh, unpopular decisions or they're, you're consistent in the firehouse or those well, not or but and those small everyday situations that you have to make a decision on how to handle whatever it is, those all lead o- bleed over into the fireground. Sure. Because there's unpopular decisions
1: it, on the fireground. Yeah, gotta leave, exactly like, the building
0: Exactly, like knowing when to pull people out, or when your guys, you know, want to go, 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 and you're like, no, we have to stop. Yeah, this is what oh. X, Y, and Z is Y, whatever it is. You know, how yeah. about
1: almost kind of the scenario you we were put in, but you know, a little bit different. Sure. You know, we're we're taking off a box, No, well, That's our box. You know, like we should go. Well, no, we're at an EMS run. We can't go. You know, yeah. we, we have. You know, if I leave this patient, it's abandonment. You sure. know, the fire is right around a corner. I go. I've made mm-hmm. patient contact. I cannot leave. Sorry. It's an unpopular decision. And I need you. That's when I need stuff for the firemen to understand that, that this is our obligation right now. Is that whether it's, you know, and the fire service has gone that way. We're in the EMS now. You know, when I got in New York, we didn't do EMS. So, you know, we didn't have to worry about missing fires because of EMS. And that's an unpopular decision. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they don't, the ramifications of leaving somebody there to go to a fire It's not like you're you're driving on the street and you find one, you know, if I, you you can't do that. And, you know, it's, it's an unpopular decision, but uh, now we're on the fire ground, whether it's an emergency scene or a fire, what I need from you is to understand that, you know, that's the only time I need stuff from the fireman.
0: Yeah. And it, and it all translates into everything, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's whether people consciously think it or not, I think everything feeds off its. Each other, everything feeds off everything else. So, there was a fire that we had uh, a couple years ago, and I feel like it was kind of the culmination of everything we've done as as a as a crew working together and getting ready to go and training and talking and you know we were just doing some drills the day of this fire, and um, I'm not going to get into great detail because you know the uh, fire had a very unique outcome. Um, but the long, the long and short of it was, there was a collapse and the only, and a couple of maydays and everybody was okay. There was a guy that got hurt and, uh, like I said, I won't get into great detail, but there was only one hand line in operation throughout the, um, the remaining part of that fire until they hit the reset button as a, as a, you know, after the guy got rescued and he ended up going to the hospital, he made a full recovery and everything, but, um, there's only one hand line in operation. And that hand line was the line that belonged to the crew that was training on that day for several hours that trained regularly for weeks beforehand. And everything came together. Right. And that was, I wouldn't say that was the Super Bowl, but that was that example of a lot of the unfun things that you have to do, all the, the dividend kind of training. That's the, the dividend. Di- that's the dividend. And, you know, um, like I said, a couple of guys got hurt. They end up making full recoveries. Everyone's okay. But I mean, now I get you know, I get to walk out and know we what we did. Yeah. We know the truth. You, you know what I mean. And and I think everyone involved on that call took something away from it. And you know, like I said, everybody made a full recovery. Everybody's okay. However, now that scenario is in everyone's mind. Right? The the situation worked out. Um, there was a couple other calls where. We were put in the position to um, make a difference in the call. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll make the fire uh, a difference in the fire, and I'll leave it at that because I'm not going to get into details. But again, that was another dividend because it was we're working hard, we're training, we're experienced. Yep. We want to be those people when someone comes looking for a crew well, to a, get something a, a done. A very good right. friend of mine,
1: uh, Mike Lombardo, and I'm sure you heard of Mike. Mm, i don't Uh, think so he was a commissioner up in buffalo anyway super dude super super dude and he teaches a lot too and and he asks his students you know if you're trapped what would you do to save yourself and everybody says the same thing anything and he goes you know the truth of the matter is you're only going to do what you were trained to do you're not going to invent something new and, and that's when we talk about the dividend of being a company officer. Like, listen, I'm training not because I want to. I'm training for that day, for the day you're talking about. That's why we, we're training for that. For the day that I need something from you, that's what we're training for. And, you know, like, the good thing is that good companies recognize that when that shit happens there, you know, because, you know, you can't prove a negative, but what if you guys weren't there?
0: Yeah, and that's a very you, valuable
1: question. Or, um, you can't, question. you know, and i go gone to fires going, I, I, and I've done it both ways. Jeez, I wonder if we were the first to engine there, or if we weren't there, would this all hands have been a fifth alarm? You know, that yeah. cellar fire, boy, would that, if we weren't there, would that have gone out and the people on the second floor died? You know, you can't prove that, but it's an interesting argument when you sit back and you talk about after the fire. Of, of what you did. You know, and when people say, tell me, there's no way you went down those stairs. Yeah. You know, and I think it's an interesting concept of, of, of leadership and of to say to someone, listen, I don't need anything from you till that day. I'm here for you right now. You know, what do you need from me when it's time? I'm going to ask for something for you and you'll know when it's time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's also going to build into, that's going to build in over time of becoming uh, confident in yourself and one of the things that we talked about, and this kind of, I guess, plays into um, the whole questions of, you know, would this been an all hands or a fifth alarm of the difference between confidence and cocky, right? You want to be confident enough to know you're able to make a difference on the fire ground or kind of with the theme of this uh, episode of you want to be confident in your abilities to handle, run, and set the tone for your crew. Mm. hold their standards because ultimately at the end of the day, either they're going to they're going to um, rise to your expectations or fall to theirs, right? At the end of the day, just humanity and people in general, I'm not saying any particular mm. person. People in general, they're either going to rise pre- to your expectations because you hold that standard by personifying it and setting the example by doing it yourself, or they're going to fall to theirs. So I think there's a difference in a crew or a company that's very confident Because they have the skills, the abilities, and the proven record of doing it, or the crew that is cocky because they may have done okay, or my personal favorite example of people that mistake luck for skill (laughs)
1: and authority. We've all been lucky. (laughs) Authority for experience. You understand what I'm saying? I know exactly what just, well. The, the, listen, I've seen them both. The, you know the cocky company, and I would tell guys, listen. Everybody knows that we did a good job. You don't have to tell anybody. Sure. The cocky people are going to tell you. See what we did? See? See that we did that? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> all right. I don't, I don't need you know. And and that was one thing. Like we would do what we did, and we'd leave, and then people would tell us, hey, you guys did a great job. Great, you know. And then I would I would I always felt we could do a better job. I never was satisfied. Um, you know, and I ask people, you ever been to a fire where everything went right? Zero. Zero. You can always be better. And that's, you know, to get back into it, that's what experience is. Sure. If you're not using the experiences that you get at your next fire, you're never going to get any better ever, you know? So I've never been to a fire. That's right. Like that cellar fire. Um, you know, my takeaway for me was a couple of things that I didn't do that I wish I had done was one, I should have made a a much stronger attempt to um, determine if there was another way into the basement, into the cellar. You know, I made one phone call, one radio call early on to the trucks outside Ventman to see if he had found his way to the rear yet and if there was an entrance in the rear. But he was blocked by fire venting out, you know, several cellar windows on that side of the house so he couldn't get out. Uh, So that was delayed, but I never... I never went back and checked that again. Do you know what I mean? So yes. it's really, a, a, it was a check on my box that was left unchecked. You know, I, I called, but I never got that answer. And I should have circled back and go, and asked them, hey, is, is, is there an entrance? And not necessarily now, because we were already in the cellar. But what if something went wrong and I needed to get out? At least I know I have another way. So, yeah. you know, at any situation you go to, when you think, wow, that was the one, I'm going to put that one on, on the mantle above my fireplace, because that's the gold standard. I don't have a gold standard. I can always do better. And I think is and it doesn't mean you have to go down and yell and then tell the guys we should have done better. If you have that drive within yourself as an officer that you can always do something better, that mindset will translate without even words, just actions to your subordinates of trying to be better the next time.
0: Yeah, and you don't you don't want to take you don't want to be too humble, but you know one thing that i've experienced and here's another dividend was you know i would we do calls what whatever the call is and if you make a mistake on a call i always said hey look i screwed up on x y and z i don't have an excuse i i i messed up and we'd talk about it you know find whatever those things would come up we talked about every call and over time what i noticed was i personally thought we did fine. And I was thinking to myself, Oh, you know what? We probably could have parked here or whatever. And I'd go back to the guys, but Hey man, I think that went pretty well. Um, you know, what do you guys think? So those kind of conversations happened for a little bit, but in time, what I found was, Hey, I think I could have done X, Y, and Z better LT. What do you, what do we think about? Hey guys, what do you think they started? They took that over from me. It's like a company back.
1: drilling on its own. Once they start drilling on its own, you, you've you established yeah. that priority.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I know it's for a fact because of the people that I work with have that high work ethic, you know, and, and there may be a time where you're part of a crew that doesn't think like that. But once you start fostering them to think like that, right, you walk in, you're a new, you know, let's say you get promoted to captain, you go to a crew that may or may not be as motivated as you are. And then over time, they start to become motivated. That's the dividend. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you're taking that ownership. You're taking that, um, you're harnessing that uh, humility. But you can't be too humble. You can't be like, oh no, I screwed up again. They don't want to hear that crap. No. They want you no, to- Well, they know it's
1: false. They know it's phony.
0: And they know it's and, phony, right. You know, those it,
1: things, whenever whenever you, to me at least, whenever you get to that point where you're like, fuck, I got to go down and tell these guys that, you know, um, it's got to be genuine. And if you do it after every fire, it's not genuine. You know what I mean? It's not. You know, and every that's the other thing. Any everything's got to be genuine. And you can't, you can't, be interested in somebody for the sake of trying to make yourself better. It's got to be genuine. So I'll give you an example. You know, like I, I, you know, whenever guys got hurt and they were on medical leave, I every time I went to work, I would call them to see how they were doing. You know, if someone in, in my company's uh, wife was in the hospital or, or a parent passed away, I would call them and ask them if they needed anything. And right. I didn't do it to fit in. It was just, you know, those things that that those characteristic values we kind of talked about, it, either you have them or you don't. But when you when when you're trying to, to say to a, co- a group of guys, hey, we could have done this. It's got to be genuine because if it isn't, they're going to smell that this guy's just saying this to make himself look good. You know, to to say, oh, I want to fit in, so I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm one of the guys. You know, it's it's got to be genuine. You know, I had one where I I I didn't screw up, but I acted terribly, (laughs) terribly. And I I, um, (laughs) I'll tell you exactly what I did. You know, I want to go to fires like like everybody else. So we're going to an EMS run. Bronx called me. They pulled me off the EMS run, and they said, "Listen, we're going to put you on this box three two squad and rescue. Go, got kids trapped." So I get out, out we got to back out of the block now. So my chauffeur's backing out and he starts to turn too soon to go out on the one eight zero Street. And there's a guy parked, sitting in his car. So I'm on the radio. I'm like, stop, 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 stop. And he just right down the whole side of the car, takes the whole side of the car out. Now, if there was nobody in it, I would have left and come back. But there was somebody in the car. I couldn't go. you know, unpopular. So I get on the rig, I grab the phone and I tell the Bronx I'm involved in an accident. I'm going to need a battalion unable to respond to the box. And my shoulder was looking at me. And I took the radio and I threw it at the windshield and I broke the windshield of the rig. I was that mad. And then when I came down, I got back to the firehouse. He didn't say anything. He left. Before I left the firehouse, I waited for him to be long enough time to get home. And I called him at home and Basically, I ate a big piece of humble pie. I said, "There's no excuse for how I acted. I acted very unprofessional." And he was like, "Now he became apologetic." And I said, "Matt, I'm not looking for an apology. This is on me." I said, "You know, shit happens. Uh, I acted like a two-year-old." I told him. I mean, the whole thing laid right out because I did. And you know what? He we, we uh, he took that, and other guys took that. At least he owned up to it. I mean, like, but you know, sometimes. You, when you miss fires, you get mad. What can I say?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, that was another thing too. It, I think a lot of people yell, scream, and cuss to make themselves – I'm not saying you did this, but yell, scream, and cuss, to try to make themselves look tougher. But when you react certain ways like that, you make yourself look weak, right? Oh, they knew. They knew. <laughs> that was the yeah.
1: one they They knew that all I wanted to do was go to fires.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, you know, but that's the – but again – you know, it's a constant every day you pay into that piggy bank of trust and um, followership from them. And, you know, you're not always going to be on your game. You're going to have to make those unpopular decisions. But one thing that I've learned, and I mean, follow me on this. I don't know if I'm going to explain this correctly or not, but I've never been to a fire or seen one that didn't go out. Right. (laughs) And I also, at least in my time on, I have not seen the last fire in humanity. So the point that I'm making is, the fire is going to go out whether it burns the building to the ground and it's rubble or whether you efficiently yeah. and effectively put it out.
1: Unless, unless you're, not, you're in a uh, coal mine in Pennsylvania.
0: Unless you're in a coal mine in Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, that's a whole different story. But um, you you only can affect change in things you have control over, right? Mm-hmm. So you can control yourself, and I think. There's going to be more fires. You're going to go to if you come to work and you stick around long enough, you will go to fires.
1: Yes, hundred percent. Right?
0: But 100%. when when you don't think properly and you allow yourself to act inappropriately and damage your um, your leadership bank, I mean that's going to cause more damage than good. I mean, yeah, you. I mean, I, I think the situation worked well, itself out. But, but imagine if. Also- if imagine oh, also, if you continuously threw self through phones or you always threw something when you were mad right well
1: like, that's the thing is I mean? that's a temper tantrum you do, oh klet's having another temper tantrum that's all but i think and i'm i wouldn't say go out and have a temper tantrum for the sake of having a temper tantrum but it does humanize you a little bit also sure it, it does you know like you know like listen i was wrong that day and and the analogy of you know you put money into the officer's piggy bank you know every day and well, that day I had to open up and then it takes them out, you know, it was, sure. it was a downturn for the market that day, you know, but <laughs> I do think that, you know, it humanizes you a little bit also. Yeah. I, 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 listen I it was all bad. There was no way to look at what happened that day with me and say it was a good thing, but you know, guys can look at it. He goes, ah, he's, he's, because you said the one thing is like, you know, who, who doesn't get excited when they go to fires? Do You yeah. Like anybody says, oh, I don't get excited when I go. You're a liar. You just you're better at controlling yeah. it than mo- uh, other people are. But we, all, sure. if you like to go to fires, you get excited. You know, yeah. I just I I'm pretty good at controlling my emotions when I'm going to a fire. I don't yell. I don't scream. Sure. I don't run around. I'm I got pretty good at it. And every once in a while, your emotions boil over, and you know it's bad, but it isn't it isn't anything that's going to turn anybody against you. In my estimation, you know, like oh well, now I don't trust him anymore because he he had a tender attack. But if you're having a temper tantrum every day, I I don't believe you've gained that trust in the first place anyway.
0: Sure. Well, it's going to erode your trust too. And you know that's the other thing about I think being a good uh, a good officer is you know think about the quiet guy in the room, right? He doesn't say a whole lot, but when he does talk, people typically
1: listen. Right? E F Hutton. It's, what's that? E F Hutton. Remember the commercials? Right. When E F Hutton talks, <laughs>
0: right? But um. But what I'm saying is, you know, let's say this is your, you, you, you had your boil over, but you don't always do that. Like you said, you're very calm, cool, and very rare rare that you boil over. But when you do, they're probably going to take you very, very serious instead of the guy that yells and screams and cusses about absolutely everything. I'm not saying crying wolf, but well, maybe it is crying wolf, but either way, um, they're not, there's going to be zero emphasis. Oh, you're yelling at me again. Whatever you yell about everything. I don't care. Yeah. But when you were to, you know, sideswipe a car, you throw that phone into the windshield, I guarantee you immediately, because you don't do that a lot, that driver goes, I really screwed up. I knew well, I screwed that's up. What he from felt, and
1: I, I wanted to let him know that, listen, shit happens.
0: Sure. But, you know, it also, I think it also, yeah, you took out of the bank a little bit, but I think inflation caught it. So you put more back into savings by owning it. Being humble about it, saying, look, yeah, we backed in the car, you know, it, it happened and everything and, you know, all that. But I shouldn't have done that. That's not how I should act. And you talk to him about it, he's looking at it as, well, shit. I mean, he apologized to me, even though he was pissed off. And, you know, they take it serious. I think those things pay off. I, I think that's a dividend for them, for the firefighters, because the firefighters collect dividends from us yeah. as well. Just well as when much as we when can. it's
1: genuine – Yes, I think genuinely when it's genuine, I think that the, like the chauffeur felt more felt worse about backing into the car than he did before. And, you know, the example is, I remember my father, you know, when I was, I was kind of a <laughs> unruly child at best. And, uh, you know, you know, when I was disciplined, my dad, my dad was a tough, he was a cop. I loved him to death, but he was, he was tough. And sure. one day, and you know, I was older I was in my teens. I was 16. Um, getting on the fire department, getting ready to get in a fire department and the volunteers. And, you know, something happened and it doesn't matter what happened. And I, I said something to my mother and my father came over the car. He punched me right in the face. Well, <laughs> A lot of people might call that abuse, but it was discipline. Yeah. I deserve it. So I was pissed. You know, I was 16 years old. I took my bank account. I had $8. I was running away. That was it. I'm going to live out and live on my own. But the next day, two days later, my father comes home and he goes, hey, let's take a ride. And I'm I'm not talking to him. And he takes me to a car deal and bought me a car. You know, because he knew I needed it to be a to join the volunteers. So I was like yeah, seventeen, yeah. probably at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he knew I needed a car so I can respond to the firehouse. So it was his way of saying he was sorry, like the phone. And I felt, yeah. I felt about this big, you know, when he was done. And I'm not saying that my chauffeur felt that way. I'm just saying, like, when it's genuine. You almost feel worse about what happened to cause the thing than you do. And I I don't say you do, you, you, you apologize to make them feel that way. I'm, I'm talking about the, the genuineness of the apology. Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: they know, well, they know immediately and they, they'd know right away if you're full of shit or not. I mean, quite frankly, they're going to be able to, they're going to read you like a book, which kind of takes me, kind of takes me into the next part. So I have a six year old son and uh recently i lost my temper nothing bad just i was pretty angry and I, I was kind of embarrassed um with with my reaction and how i acted and my wife uh quickly educated me and i mean you're married you can probably figure out how that went and uh it um you know ended up being me apologizing and you know we kind of talked about it and everything was smoothed over and you know water under the bridge but what i found myself Thinking about kind of while you were talking was, you know, being a parent or being an officer, you're still leading, right? Male, female, it doesn't matter. You're still leading
1: your crew and then leading your family, right? So, well, it's the same aspects. It's it's, it's investments and dividends. It's the same thing.
0: And it's all give and take, and yep. you know, and everything is not what you say, it's what you do, right? Like was something my parents always told me was don't tell me, show me. So you said you, um, well, your dad was a cop and your son's work in Baltimore. My son's six. Um, you and I are both officers. You've, you're since retired. Do you think when it comes to being a parent and being an officer, especially when it comes to dealing with people in general, do you think being a good parent, excuse me, do you think that parenting and being an officer being good at one makes you better at the other maybe i asked that wrong but do you understand what i'm saying i
1: I know what you mean i I think there's a lot of parallels you know what i mean because sure because one of the things that makes you a good parent and you know it's the unpopular decisions yeah you know it's and we had said in in, before we started anybody can say yes it's easy go ahead do that you know but it's hard to say no because you got to deal with a whiny little kid. Oh, you know, oh, why you never do this for me? You know, sometimes it's no. And, and, you know, you've got to be willing to say no. And I think you got to be willing to say no in the firehouse too. So <clears throat> I think there's a ton of parallels um, between parenting and, 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 cause I don't want anything for my kids. Right. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's, what do they need? You know, what do they need for me as their father? I'll, I, my dividend comes later on. You know, when I can't, you know, when I, when I can't wipe myself anymore and they'll do it for me, you know, <laughs> right. that's when I'll laugh. You know, when yeah, my yeah. son bought his first car, you know what I did? I Hard opened out. the bag of potato chips and I dumped it in the back seat, brand new car. And I go, that's for all the times you did it to me.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I can't wait till my kid gets a car because I'm going
1: to spread goldfish all over it. Yeah, there you go. But I think there's a ton of parallels. You know, I think I, the I biggest really, one. Really
0: no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim.
1: No, no, that's good.
0: I was going to say, I think the biggest one that I learned, and I still often struggle with this a lot. Well, there's two things. One is patience. Like my patience is terrible. And my wife actually just got home. She's probably upstairs laughing at me because I'm sure she can hear me. But um, patience for me, I think I fall short a lot. But I think overall, I've learned to be patient while having a kid. And one thing I've learned was when I go to work, I used to fly off the handle, get mad at things, you know, whatever, whatever, Mm -hmm. but you, you gotta be patient. You you know what I mean? Because Uh, just like a a kid, they typically don't know what they don't know. And, you know, if you fly off the handle at them, they're not going to learn anything. They're going to shut down. People at work are just the the exact same way. And, uh, she's there making fun of you, isn't she? She's laughing at me right now, which is which is nice. And she just.
1: Well, don't tell her, look in the camera. Cause I'm naked sitting here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm just joking. But, but you know, uh, the thing with the kids and I want to say this before I forget it is, and, and one of the big parallels, you know, cause I had, you have just a one boy. Just one son. Yep. yep. Just one. I had the two. Mm-hmm. So they would, you know, they were boys. So, you know, you'd let them be boys and you know, same thing in the firehouse. You let them be firefighters. And yeah. I think a good officer knows when to step in but he also knows when to step away. Yes. Do you know what yes. I mean? And I think yes. that's a big parallel, like you know, being a parent, you know, you got to know when to step in. And sometimes you need to notice, you know, when the, like I'd be sitting in the kitchen, they'd have me be this, this huge political discussion and guys yelling at each other. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going up to my office. Cause I don't want to be drawn into this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to remain neutral here because political, you know, especially now,
0: yeah, so, yeah. but
1: if guys are in and, and they're, they're getting ready to duke it out in the kitchen. Okay, bros, enough's enough. Shut yeah. it down. So you yeah. got to know when to step in and you really need to know when to step away.
0: Yeah. It's, well, it's just like driving a, driving a manual car. You have to know when to push the, uh, push the clutch and when to hit the gas. And you, you got to yeah. let the guys be the guys, uh, right. you know what I mean? You don't have to micromanage. There's people that no. may need to be micromanaged for a reason or maybe, I guess maybe the better way to say that is you have to pay Training will take attention. care of that.
1: Yeah. Training will take we, care of that. Yeah. That's and why need, we train.
0: Exactly. And you know when to, who to put pressure on and when to put pressure on them. But I think there's a lot of times where, and it's happened to me where discussions start happening or I hear them talking about something. And I mean, obviously I'm in their field of vision and I don't say a whole lot. I just kind of, I just get up and I just kind of walk out of the room. Yeah. And I think over time, it was kind of interesting because I did that recently at a, a place that, not my firehouse, somewhere completely different than where I normally work. It was kind of getting into a weird discussion and I just kind of got up and it wasn't anything bad, but it was probably better that I just leave. Yeah. And I, I heard, I heard the comment of, you know, maybe we should drop this, that the Lieutenant just walked out of the room. Like you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean, but um, I think the bigger thing or the other thing that I learned from being a parent, which translates a lot into being an officer, especially in the firehouse stuff, is communication, and I um, I am not that great at communicate. It's it's really bad sometimes, and it's something that in my home life, I you know, I kind of butt heads with my wife over it because my communication kind of sucks. And, uh, I had Bobby Eckert on, on the last episode, and it's really funny the way he said this was, I wish the lessons and things I do in the firehouse, I would do in my personal life. Right. So that just rolls into what we talked about earlier of how intertwined, you know, your personal life is with work. So I know that I, I suck at communicating written communication. I'm not that great at, and you know, it's, it's an everyday process, however, since having a kid and over time and being in the firehouse with these guys, you know, letting, let the guys be the guys, but communicate, communicate, communicate. You have to communicate. You have to be transparent. They have to know what you're thinking. And, you know, I think a lot of problems, interpersonal problems can come from poor communication as a new officer. That's not something I ever thought about.
1: Well, if now. they don't know the threshold or if they don't know the, the barometer, then, then, yeah. you know, how do they know they're crossing it? You know, like, the boundaries. and we yeah, talk the boundaries. About- yeah. They, we talked about it. I used to tell my kids a, a lie is going to hurt you more than the truth. You know, I just want, and you know, I heard, they would tell me stuff. Oh my God, I really wish I didn't hear that. You know, i got some <laughs> hysterical stories uh, of stuff they would tell me when they were older. Yeah. And, but you know, what I, what I can say is that, you know, that they were honest with me and, and they knew that, the, you know, the, the lie would hurt them more than the truth. And I kind of lived that by that same sense in the firehouse. I, I can't defend a lie. I need to know what happened, and I can defend that, like we had said already. So I think there's a ton of parallels, you know, in patience and communication-wise. I I really never had a problem. Um, I'm a talker, so and you know, me and my me and both my go- boys have a very good relationship where we're really almost friends. You know, mm. I, I had to be the dad when I had to be the dad. You know, and and it but was But they knew tough. the threshold they knew the um, threshold
0: though they knew the, well, threshold, they knew the
1: threshold you know you yeah. had to establish it sure. you know there is you know like i i i would tell my sons when they got older i have no problem with disagreements with your mother sure none whatsoever right up to the point it becomes disrespectful and then i have a problem with it yeah. all right you can discuss everything anything you want you know cuz you know i wanted them to have their own personalities and be their own people Right up to the point where it was disrespectful. And I really, if you think about it, you know, in the firehouse, I listen, you have an opinion, bro, right up to the point, it becomes disrespectful. And, and, you know, so I had, we had a different relationship that way. And, you know, and I would tell him, listen, you're getting close, bro. You, you, you got to know where that is. And I think the, the firefighters need to know. That's why, again, we said it time and time again through this is that you have to establish yourself and those parameters from day one.
0: Yeah, exactly. And again, that's something else that I mentioned earlier, earlier in the discussion was everyone sees everything, right? Just like kids. My kid sees everything I do. He repeats things I say regularly and he doesn't forget anything. Whereas me, I, I sometimes forget what I had for lunch. And I think over time, when you genuinely try your hardest, do your best, um, you're humble, all those things. And the biggest thing is Um, letting the guys be the guys in the firehouse. Just let them be. be. Give them their space. You don't want to be too close, but you don't want to be so distant that you're not involved, right? You can't leave from your office. You have to be out. And there was a book that I read recently.
1: But sometimes they need to be by themselves too.
0: And that's exactly what I'm saying is you got to create, you have to have a little bit of separation to keep the situation honest. But you have to, you have to be out on the factory floor. Is, well, is I, I was already told you
1: need before. that separation to keep you close. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And there's a really good saying. So there's a book that I I found recently. Uh, it's called The Wisdom of the Bullfrog by uh, he. His name's uh, McRaven. He's uh, used to be a admiral, and now he's the chancellor, I think. Of well,
1: come to my house in Texas. the backyard. You'll get all the bullfrogs you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, one one of the
0: quotes that he said was the shepherd shepherd should smell like the sheep, right? So the whole point is you got to be in it with your guys. You have to know where they are. You have to be on their level when it comes to most things. But I think to, uh, I guess, elaborate on that is exactly what you said. A little bit of distance will make you closer, right? So... I mean, we're hitting that two-hour mark. <laughs> I told you. No, I'm good. No, no, no. I'm good. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we haven't hit?
1: I think we, I think we covered a lot.
0: I think we covered a lot. I agree. And, and I think, you know, if nothing else, what the biggest takeaway I want people to understand from this episode is the fire. And as you said yourself, the fires are the easiest part of the job. The hardest They're part the is being part able to... Like deal with or and, all, and, excuse me, and like interact. we said the
1: reason those are easy is because now i'm getting asked what i need right exactly Remember? yep yes
0: yes, yes. That's, and,
1: that's that dividend that's why they're easy because now the firefighters what do we need Lou? what do you need exactly that's, that's the dividend that's why fires are easy it's the other stuff to to make the fires easier than exactly and you know
0: fires don't happen every day but your interaction with your crew and your guys will yep. happen every day being one of the guys is a fine line to walk, but letting them be the guys is yeah. a line you have to walk yeah. as the officer. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. So, I think this is a good place to end this. Um Pardon, Tim, I I'm really such appreciate sweet your time. I'm sorry. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Parting is such sweet sorrow. But luckily, we can always hit this record button. So. Yep. Um, Tim, thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to go over?
1: No, just again, like anybody that listens to the, to the podcast. Um, you know, I'm not that guy that says, uh, um, you know, if you have any questions, reach out and don't get back to you. I mean, I, I'm very humble about who I am and uh, I'm, I'm like anybody else. So if anybody's got any questions, uh, I I tell you my email is E N G. 88 T K at gmail.com and just shoot me an email. And then, you know, if we, if we want to talk on the phone, I'll shoot you my phone. And, and if you have any questions, not that I listen, not that I'm the exp- export on anything. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm fallible all the time. I've made tons of mistakes. Um, if other people can learn from my mistakes, maybe they don't have to go through it. So if they have, if guys that listen to this enjoy it, they have questions, uh, feel free, to send me an email, just send, you know, say, Hey, listen, I listened to the podcast. Um, I got a couple more questions, if you don't mind going over it. And and uh, I'll get back to people. I'm not that guy. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, think they're bigger than than the fire service and the fire service owes them something. And I always say I will never repay the debt that I owe the American fire service. No way, no how. So if I can do that by helping some guy that's going to be an officer down the road, absolutely, 100%. That's great, Tim.
0: That's some uh, very humble words and you know, I, I, definitely, uh, I agree with that. I understand where you're coming from. And, you know, I think a lot more people would connect with exactly how you explain that than you realize. So thank you. We'll add your contact information to the episode sure. description.
1: All right, Tim, Mike, don't thanks. go anywhere
0: real quick while I close this out. Um, everyone, thanks for listening to the tip of the Spear leadership podcast. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network, hit that subscribe button and that download button. Leave us a review. We're going to read them all. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we have more episodes to release. Thank you guys for your time. And uh, tip of the spirit leadership, be present, be yourself, be unstoppable. We'll see you next time.